Praise the Lord. What a day to be alive. All right, Bill opened up with Psalm 2. If you could all turn there, please. I want us to, uh, to have a time, a brief sharing at our tables as a, as a beginning. Uh, I'm going to give you four to five minutes of what stood out to you in looking at this Psalm 2? Now, there's about four or five at each table. That means you have one minute. <laughs> one minute. 
to just share a highlight that speaks to you, something that stands out to you, something that you can relate to today. And I pray that great grace will be on us talkers who one minute is a confinement and to us introverts that one minute is an eternity <laughs> that we would all be able to share just something now if if nothing stands out to you you can say okay I waive my one minute because I see that there are eight at that table there in the back so you, uh, if there's someone that wants to pass that's okay but uh, just have a time of just maybe saying something that stands out to you about this psalm in this season so do that for the next few minutes
One more minute, one more minute. Okay, praise the Lord. I gave you the longest minute you'll have today. There is such a timelessness, uh, timeless quality to the Psalms. Uh, they can be easily applied to believers' lives at any time in history, and especially today. <clears throat> this Psalm 2. It's a prophetic psalm. It's not only prophetic, it's very messianic. And David uses a creative element of God's spirit in writing this to have a spirit-inspired creative dialogue from a heavenly perspective of what is taking place on the earth prior to the messianic age and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ who will rule the world in righteousness. Why do the nations rage? The Hebrew word for rage is ragasu, which simply means restless. It means filled with anxiety. So why do the nations rage with anxiety? Why are they so nervous? Why are they so restless? And the people, why do they plot a vain thing? Well, the combination of rage and vain things indicates rebellion without a chance of success. And according to Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31, this is what Jesus experienced at the hands of evil, civil, and religious leaders. And it is what the church continues to experience as the gospel is met with official resistance. Nations rage because the ruler of this world, Satan, knows that his dominion over humanity due to sin is soon coming to an end. Jesus came to earth to restore the broken relationship of mankind with their creator. And through his death, through the horror that he went through, 
Jesus destroyed the power of sin and is mankind's only hope for salvation. And while Jesus had been saving people out of sin for 2,000 years, Satan has been destroying people by seducing them into greater sin, which separates them even further from the source of salvation, Messiah Yeshua. So there is war. Intense war in the unseen realm for the souls of men and women throughout the earth. In the book of Revelation chapter 12, John, the beloved apostle, saw a significant last day's event. He saw a war taking place in heaven between the archangel Michael and his angelic army against the dragon and his angels. Michael and the angels with him win. But the battle will be more fierce and vicious than anything imaginable upon earth. Imagine the intensity of this war in the unseen realm where eventually the dragon and all of his angels, his demonic forces will be cast out into the, from the unseen realm into this realm that is seen on earth. Wow. The demonic forces are losing space in the unseen realm. And their space is getting smaller and smaller. And eventually, Revelation 12 says they will be cast out of the unseen realm. I like to liken it that the scriptures make it clear that there are three heavens. Now, that might be kind of new to some of your hearing. But Paul said he was caught up in a vision to the third heaven where God was, where the throne was. Lucifer in his rebellion against God, was cast out of that third heaven of the presence of God into a midheaven, an unseen spiritual realm. And it's that midheaven that he's in. And then when you and I walk outside and look at the stars at night, we are seeing the first heaven. This is why the heavens and the earth declare his glory. In that midheaven, Michael and the archangel are battling them and pushing them down because there's a limit to where they ultimately are cast out. Hmm. When there is less space, there is greater molecular activity. I think boiling water is a good example of this. As water boils, the intensity of the molecular activity movement, it greatly increases. The molecules move faster as the heat increases and the intensity of what we are seeing in the nations right now in the natural realm is a mere reflection of what is happening in the unseen realm. So there is war in heaven and war in the earth. There is a battle right now across the globe for truth against lies, for light against darkness, for good against evil. 
We're in a war. Back to Psalm 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. You know, when you have more money than you could ever spend, what you then want is power. And the lust for power over people is spreading from nation to nation in these days. And this is what we're seeing in the nations happening right now. The psalm brings warning to the leaders of the nations, to presidents, to prime ministers, to kings, and to all those in authority. How unfortunate that most are plotting against God's word, his will, his way, and his people. That's worth repeating. Most of the leaders of the earth today are plotting against God's word, his will, his way, and his people. And this will only intensify as the space is lessened. Verse 3. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. You know, it's really amazing. Some people think that they will be free if they can just get away from God. We were sent an email this week that the new chief chaplain of the University of Harvard is an atheist and a humanist promoter. This is Harvard named after John Harvard. <sighs> yeah. What a day we're living in. People think they can be free if they just get away from God. Well, just as a fish is not free when it leaves the water. Or a tree is not free when it leaves the soil. We are not free when we leave the Lord. Because true freedom only comes by being securely attached to our life source, the Lord Jesus. It's by abiding in him that we find our purpose in life. And God wants to make us free to be the people he has called us to be. The enemy wants to break our bonds with God and with one another. To tear down and to destroy our unity and oneness in Christ. Over the last decade, we've seen great division arise in our country, the United States of America, politically, socially, and racially. But the true design, listen, beloved, is not only to divide the nation, which has been pretty successful. The real design is to divide the church. Let us break their bonds in pieces. That's what the enemy says. The enemy hates our unity with God and with one another because that's where our strength lies. 
That's where the blessing is, according to Psalm 133. And in the last verse of that Psalm, 133, the Psalm that first graders in Israel, it's the first song that they put to words in kindergarten. Day one, they learn how to sing Psalm 1, uh, Psalm 133. In that last verse of that psalm, it says that God commands. He not only wants it, he commands the blessing upon our unity. Life forevermore. And in Luke eleven seventeen, Jesus said these very powerful and sobering words. He said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house, falls. Revelation 12.10 says that our enemy accuses us, us, God's people, before our God day and night, continually pointing to our wrongdoings and shortcomings. And boy, he probably has a lot to say about me. And you too. Friends, when we start doing the same toward each other, we can easily cross the line to the other side. We can easily move from being the encourager of the brethren to the accuser of them. So let's take care that our disagreements do not result in the disunity of the body. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus knew he only had a number of hours left on the earth. In John 17, in his high priestly prayer, he fervently prayed for our unity and our oneness because he knew that this is the enemy's target. He wants to divide and conquer. Let's break their bonds in pieces. Unity doesn't come from what we believe. It only comes in whom we believe. Amen. Let that sink in. It's in the person of Jesus that we find oneness. And this is a central reason why the church has been so divided for centuries. People leave a church that they are unhappy with and they start or they join another church taking their offense with them. Verses four and five. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. I think it's interesting that David had the revelation of God in the heavens chuckling. God laughed. But listen, I do not believe he was laughing at the nations but rather he was laughing at their confused thoughts about their power. 
It's like the laughter of a father with a three-year-old that boasts that he can outrun dad or that he can beat him in a wrestling match. Well, the father knows the limited strength of his little child and God knows the boundaries of the power that there is within nations. Every nation is limited. But God is omnipotent. He's the source of all power. And human resistance deserves the laughter of an omnipotent sovereign God and his prevailing justice. In verses six and seven, now we see that God is introducing his ruling king. And then God's king, Messiah Jesus, states God's decree. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is one of the few Old Testament scriptures that clearly say that God has a son. And because God has always existed and because God is timeless, he can say at any point, today I have a son. Because he can say it for eternity, past and future. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. And Jesus was always conscious that he was God's son. Always. I want you all to turn to John chapter 5 with me. These words are so powerful what Jesus spoke. John chapter 5. I want us to look at three verses, 18 through 20. Starting in verse 18. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Friends, it was this declaration, this declaration that caused the Jewish elders to accuse him of blasphemy, crucify him. This was the accusation that we read about at the end of Matthew 26 when he's standing before those accusers and judges. Verse 8. God is still speaking to his son. And he says, ask of me and I will give you for your inheritance the nations. 
and the ends of the earth for your possession. Now, I want you to catch this this morning. Here is a good and practical way that you and I can pray today. You ready? Jesus, would you ask the Father for the nations of Afghanistan and Russia? Lord, would you ask him for the nations of China and North Korea? Lord, would you ask the Father for the nations of Canada and the U.S. and Mexico and England and Israel? Jesus, ask your fathers again for the nations. May they become your inheritance. Possess them, Lord Jesus. Take hold of them for your kingdom and for your glory. For you are worthy of having every knee bow and every tongue confess to the supremacy of your lordship. Jesus made a very powerful statement at the end of gospel, uh, the gospel of Matthew. It's called the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. But I love how Jesus starts this out in verse 18, Matthew 28. All, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make divine investments into people's lives. Of every nation, every people group, every ethnic group, go and make disciples of all the nations and immerse them, baptize them, fully immerse them to the nature of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And while you're doing that, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus knew he had authority over all. And an earth has been given to me. What a statement. That should rock the world of every living thing. All authority. And because he knew he had authority over all the nations, he commissioned his disciples to go in that authority to make disciples in the nations that were already under his authority. To bring them under his rulership, his kingdom. And he still commissions his disciples today to make disciples. I'm so thrilled. We at Highland have a strong focus on disciple making in obedience to this command. Well, I could go off on that one for a while, but... I am just so excited. I am so thrilled. Back to Psalm 2, verse 9. You shall break them. This is still divine conversation. You shall break them. And he's referring to the nations that rebel against God and his authority. Jesus, you shall break them with the rod of iron. 
and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Well, we see here that the king's enemies will be crushed by his absolute power. Job 4.9 says, by the blast of God, they will all perish. And by the breath of his anger, they are consumed. Psalm 110 verses 1 and 2 says, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. I know it's written in a lot, some translations as Yahweh, or even as we said, there's no God like Jehovah in the Sangui song. It's really Yahweh. If you look at the Hebrew and pronounce it in Hebrew, it's Yehwah. 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 <laughs> That's all you can say about God. He's so awesome. He's so in wonder. The Lord Yehwah said to my Lord Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, your footstool. The Lord, Yahweh, shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, referring to Jesus. And then he says, rule in the midst of your enemies. The rod of iron speaks of severity. A potter's vessel that is dashed to pieces, it is utterly destroyed. And this describes the complete and utter destruction of all the enemies of the Lord Jesus. In verses 10 and 11 of our text in Psalm 2, God shows his mercy and he shows his compassion for mankind by giving world leaders a chance. Giving world leaders strict instructions. This is their last chance. Be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. This is wise counsel for us too. We are to serve the Lord with fear and with reverence and rejoice in total awe of him. And now verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. A kiss. It's a sign of intimacy or submission. In context, God Almighty is saying to the kings of the earth, do homage and bow in submission before my son. This is the last warning. Blessing will come to everyone who puts their trust in him. In 1 Kings 19, 18, God spoke to his prophet Elijah and said, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to veil and every mouth that has not kissed him. The idols of Baal were kissed as a sign of submission and affection. If we do not surrender and submit to God, beloved, we have no hope of avoiding God's anger and judgment. 
Jesus is God's son and chosen king. And he has every right to reign within our hearts and to rule over our lives. To be ready for Christ's return, listen, we must, we must submit to his lordship every day. We need to embrace the discipline of the Lord to get us to that place of complete and absolute surrender. Kiss the son. In Luke 7, a woman came into a house of where Jesus was. And verse 38 says, she stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with the hair of her head and she kissed his feet continually and anointed them with fragrant oil. She kissed the son in brokenness and gratitude. Her tears and affection poured upon his feet. It was most holy to the Lord Jesus. She kissed the son and he welcomed her offering of worship. My prayer is that we all become more like that woman in expressing our love and surrender to our King and Lord Jesus. Now, let me make this personal this morning. If you have rebellion in your heart toward God in any way, you need to get that right. Don't continue in your rebellion. Don't risk his judgment. Submit to him right now, right here. Surrender to God whatever you are withholding from him. And let his Holy Spirit convict your heart to the core of your being. If you have separated yourself from someone you are close to, that division is a sin against unity and love. I urge you today to converse with that person and to get reconciled. The hour is late and the times are becoming more perilous. Don't have that hanging over your soul. Don't have that weighing you down in these days. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Be reconciled. Do it now. Hebrews 12, 14 says, pursue peace. Go after peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Lastly, ask the Father for the nations to become Disciples of Jesus. Ask him, what is your role in this great commission? Are you actively making disciples today? Or are you in a supportive role of those who are? Are you praying for disciple-making ministries in this city and nation and in other nations? 
I want to encourage you, be a part of bringing all ethnic groups under the authority of Jesus. And today I say, let's serve the Lord with fear and rejoice in awe of him. Today, let's all kiss the sun together. Let's pray. Holy Father God, Lord and Savior Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, you, O oh God, are worthy of our worship, all of our affection, all of our adoration. Jesus, the signs are everywhere that you are returning to earth soon. And I pray that each of us will be ready and looking forward to that day. For truly, the days of Elijah are upon us as we sang in the outset of this morning. Prepare ye the way of the Lord is the word for us today. So Lord, I pray that you would show each of us how to live out this word of Psalm 2 throughout the rest of this day and all the days of our lives. Amen. Amen. Bless